Good morning. Uh, yeah, my name's uh, Tim. I'm one of the pastors here, and I was all alone in the office this week without Tony around. Um, I just got to saw, see all the photos of uh, the cut that he had that he needed to go to hospital for. So that was a lot of fun. Um, it's really great. We just sung a song about coming to the Lord's Word, uh, the food for our souls. And so it's really great to launch out of that into reading from God's Word. We're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 5. It's going to come up on the screen. But if you have your Bible with you, it's going to be helpful to you to read along uh, throughout uh, the sermon. So we're reading Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through to 14. Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among, among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret." But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Our Father, we've just read in the first verse there that we are your beloved children. And we come before you now in prayer before you, our great Father, and we ask for your help, both in hearing what it is you have to say to us this morning, and secondly, to be those who walk in love, that you would help us to be light, just as Christ is light. And Father, we need your help with all of this, and so we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. An important skill for uh, parents to develop is the ability to drop everything at a moment's notice for the sudden dash to the hospital. Uh, I'm sure it could be turned into an Olympic event at some stage. I'm sure that could be a possibility. You know, parents holding three bags full of food shopping, a flat white in one hand, half a piece of peanut butter toast hanging out of the mouth, all while on an important phone call about school enrolments. And then, without warning, a loud bang, the screech of a young child, and it is game time. 
drop everything. There's blood gushing from the left eyebrow and the race to urgent care begins. We had this recently with one of our kids. Uh, Not as dramatic. I may have played that up a little. But one thing I noticed was there's a massive contrast between the chaos of the trip into the hospital and the calm, careful, precise movements of the nurse or the doctor. I remember how careful the nurse was when uh, she was treating one of our daughters. It was, first, it was the gloves that they had to put on their hands. And then the surgical tongs, if, if that's even what they're called, she pulled out of a sealed package. And then she used those tongs to grab another sealed package to pull out what looked like another pair of uh, surgical tongs. There was precise measured movements, steps in the process that couldn't be missed. And what appeared to be pedantic was actually just great care. And it's because the nurse understood that there was something more important than the job done quick. No, much more important here is a job done clean. A job done free of disease and infection. Because there are things that ought to stay outside the body. We come to God's word to us this morning from Ephesians. And the Lord wants to make something really abundantly clear to us. That there are certain things that must stay outside of the body of Christ. The disease of sin and the infection of unholiness will compromise what God has made us to be. Verse 2 of our passage, God is calling us to walk in a certain way. Our conduct is what's on view in this passage. And this morning we're going to start with who we are. We'll see what it is that we're called to. And to finish, we'll see what it is that's at stake. And I want to say something here that just heightens the significance of this. I reckon this is one of the things that we often misunderstand. What does it mean to give our lives to living righteously? What does it mean to live a holy life for God? There's certain pitfalls that you can hit on along the way. So this is a critical thing for us, particularly in each of our discipleship to Jesus. With those things in mind, we're going to get stuck into the passage for this morning. Verses 1 and 2 open with the intertwining of two inseparable things. On the one hand, who God has made us to be. And on the other, what God calls us to. The first is the foundation and the fuel for the second. The first is the soil that the second grows out of. Who God has made us to be and what God calls us to. Verse 1 wants us to say that as we are beloved children. Verse 2 adds that we are those who Christ loved and gave himself up for. And right here, I want us to narrow in on a two-letter word that is an absolute game-changer when we think about this. 
comes up twice. It's the word as. As beloved children. As Christ's loved ones. See, as points backwards to things already done, things that are already true. To help draw out the significance of this, it's, let's replace it. Let's re- replace it with something different. Ready? Listen along and see what I've changed. Therefore, be imita- imitators of God to be beloved children. Or walk in love to be loved by Christ. Can you see how that is a massive change with just the change of two words? Doing something in order to receive something from God is not the gospel. All other religion and ways of living say, do. You want a closer experience of God? Do. You want financial freedom? Do. You want happiness, hope and meaning? Do. But the gospel says, done. As those who have received the gospel, the word of truth, and put our trust in it, you become a beloved child of the king of the universe. Grace and love have been lavished upon you before you've done a thing. Imagine with me for a moment, a family takes out a loan because it's the only way they can afford a much-needed car for the family. The teenage child is invited to a party on a Friday night. They know their parents will be asleep at 8 8, 8 p.m. on the couch, so they plot to sneak out at 8.30 to make sure they're asleep. They quietly grab the keys, gently close the door as they leave, let the car roll down the driveway in neutral before starting it up and heading to the party. And the teenager was only five minutes into the drive before they leaned over to grab their phone for directions Steering the wheels pulled to the left. The new car knocks over a letterbox, rolls over the shrubs before hitting into a solid tree. The radiator's gone, the front chassis compromised, the car's a write-off. And all of this before the parents have organised insurance. And when they hear this news, what's the parent going to be most concerned about? Is it the car? Is it the loss of financial possibilities? Is it the disobedience of the child? Even a mildly above average parent is going to be vastly more concerned for their child who they love. They're going to cry and worry and stress until they find until they found out that their child is safe. So what about our astronomically above-average Father in heaven? You are a beloved child of God. Can we just bed something down here before we start talking about our conduct? Just let's be clear and upfront. You are going to fall short of what it means to live a holy life. Until the day you die, sin is going to be a part of your life. An unfortunate one, an unwelcomed one, but a reality nonetheless. 
but you are never going to cease being a beloved child of God. And that fact ought to change how we respond when we see the moral failures that come up in our life. So it's healthy to feel guilt and sorrow for your sin, but despair, hopelessness and rejection are not. Let this sink deep into your soul. There is nothing you could do to make God love you less. There's nothing you could do to make God love you less. Who do you think God is? Do you think he's fickle and can't make up his mind? Or do you think he's surprised when you fall short of what he's called you to? No, the God of heaven has set his love upon you. And by his strength, not yours, he is going to sustain your faith in him until the day of glory. What he has started, he will see through to completion. You are his beloved child. And so here we are, secure and loved by God in the Lord Jesus. But what we're about to see is that we're, it's not so we take the foot off the accelerator. It's not so that we can become relaxed with sin and complacent in our attitude towards holiness. In fact, it's just the opposite. God has lavished his grace and love upon us so that we have everything we need to roll up our sleeves to engage our hearts and our minds in what he has called us to. So here it is, verse 1. This is what he's called us to. Be imitators of God. Verse 2, walk in love. Just as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us so he could be a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, just as Christ did, so we also are called to walk in his footsteps to walk in love to give ourselves up so we too can be a fragrant offering and sacrifice to god don't miss how significant that call is on our life to be imitators of god god in in whom there is not a hint of sin, not even a hint of corruption. That is the call on your life. Holiness, righteousness. And so although you can be confident and secure in your position as a beloved child of the King of Heaven, it is never to say sin is okay. It's never to say that your unholiness is welcomed. It's so that you can become like God, free from sin. And so that would be one of the pitfalls that we could fall into, isn't it? Knowing that we are beloved could make us think that we can become relaxed with sin, but that is not true. So verse 1 and verse 2 give us the general comments here about being imitators of God, to walk in love, to be like Christ. Verse 3 through to 14 then tell us exactly what that looks like. 
The end of verse 3 tells us that there is a particular conduct that is proper. See, the word is used there in verse 3. It's another way of saying, what is fitting for saints? And by the way, saints is just a fancy word for holy ones. It comes right at the start of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. We are saints because God has made us holy. And here, Paul gets very practical. Verse 3, it's sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. And then it's there in verse 4. Filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. These things are out of place for those whom God has made holy. Sexual immorality and impurity are referring to the same thing. It's referring to engaging in any kind of sexual activity outside of a committed marriage relationship. It's hard to list out all of the things that would be uh, come under that category. Uh, marriage is the gold standard. That is the standard by which we understand what is sexual immorality and what is sexual morality. But to give us a sense of the kind of things that we could be uh, tempted towards. It includes the obvious and outright sins, things like committing adultery, premarital sex, and watching pornography. But it also includes less outright, less outrightful, uh, sorry, less outright, but also sinful. Things like fantasizing about sexual activity in our imagination, scrolling through social social media on sites and, pa and pages that are inappropriate pushing the boundaries with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, watching movies and shows that are sexually explicit in their content. This isn't listing out everything. It's just trying to get a sense of what it is that is, how this applies in our culture and in our moment in history. These are the things that are before us. And these are sins that ought not to be even named among us. They are an infection and disease that should never enter the body. And alongside the sins of sexual immorality are those of greed and covetousness. This is referring to the acquisition of wealth and possessions, thinking that they'll give us the hope and happiness that only God can provide. And so in verse 5, it tells us that this is actually an idolatry. Money and possessions can capture our hearts so much that it pushes God to the side. And it's a desire that produces jelly more than it produces contentment. These sins, sexual immorality, impurity, greed and covetousness, are not fitting for those God has made holy. They are out of place. But there is a person for whom this behavior is fitting. Notice the difference between verse 3 and verse 5. Verse 3 talks about the vices themselves. Vices that are not fitting for holy ones, even if they are vices that Christians find themselves being tempted towards and even committing. Verse 5, on the other hand, refers to a kind of person. Everyone who is sexually immoral, impure, and covetous. This is describing someone whose life bent and direction is towards these things. One who is characterized by these vices. 
For this kind of person, we see clearly the outcome of their life, don't we? Verse 5, they, verse five, they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. Verse 6, the wrath of God. And so here's the logic. The wrath of God and exclusion from his kingdom are the outcomes of this way of life. And so it puts to us as the Lord's people, those who are not in this category, to say, why would you dabble with them? Why would you dabble with these kinds of sins? Look at the outcome of this way of life. See where it ends. Why would you want to dabble with those sins? Look at the outcome of that way of life. Would you let a child play with fire? Imagine someone being caught out at sea, pulled out by a strong current. There are powerful waves, cold weather. This person hasn't eaten for a few hours, so their energy is low. And to add to the drama, there's been a shark spotted not far from where this person is too. Starting to sound like a cheap movie with really unbelievable plot development. Imagine the lifesavers kicking into action at this point. Doing whatever it is that they do, grabbing their surfboards, running down, swimming out to this person. They get closer and closer to the person who's breathing in water at this stage. But for some more cheap drama, the shark is getting freakishly close. But the lifesaver, a true Australian hero, grabs the drowning person up onto the surfboard and the audience takes a deep breath of relief. <clears throat> now how foolish would it be for that rescued person to stand up on the surfboard and dive straight back into the water? There is no universe where that decision makes any sense at all. To be facing certain death by drowning or shark attack, to then be heroically saved, and then to dive straight back again into the very thing that was going to cause them death. Friends, verse 6, do not be deceived. It is because of these things that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. If we dabble in the sexual immorality, impurity, greed, covetousness, foolish talk, we are as foolish as the one who dives straight back into the sharks. And so, verse 7, we are told not to be partners with them. Some have taken this verse to refer to marriage and business partnerships only. And although they are certainly included in what's being said here, I think it's referring more to a general principle rather than a specific rule. What he's saying is do not put yourself in a relationship where you will be compromised in your conduct. Do not put yourself in a position where you will be tempted beyond your own strength into sin. Disease and infection must not enter the body. And so it is with the body of Christ. We are the God's beloved children, those saved from death and sin and Satan. And so let us resolve to be a people who will not allow those things to be named among us. Yes, we're going to fall short. 
And yes, we are going to be those who continue to be the beloved people of God. But a part of that, being a child of God, means we must resolve to not let that be part of who we are. And so to round this out this morning, we'll close by considering the final illustration of our passage. Verse 8, At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And verse 11, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Notice there's the same dynamic. There's the work that God has done in us and for us. We were darkness. We have been made light in the Lord. Signed, sealed, delivered, the done and finished work of the Lord. And so then comes the call. Walk as children of light. And this has really significance, or great significance for us. Because we're a church that wants to reach more and more people with the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, aren't we? We want our friends, our neighbours, those who go to school with us, children, grandchildren, those who don't know the Lord. We want them to come to the Lord. And not only that, we want to be a church that joins them in with us as we seek to grow up in the Lord. And so, there's a particular strategy that we could adopt that may work for a little while, but will ultimately fail. The strategy would go something like this. We must become like the world in order to win the world. And I want to be clear, there is some truth to that, isn't there? We want to become like the world. We want to be friends with the world. We want to uh, have relationships with those who don't know the Lord. We want to uh, take those relationships seriously. But there's a very clear distinction between that and dabbling in the sin of the world. Because although we want to be able to relate to the world, at the same time, we want to be utterly different to the world, as different as dark is from light. We want to be light. We want to walk in light. And what does that mean? It tells us there in verse 9 and 10, For the fruit of life is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. See, it doesn't list out the specific behaviors, does it? It actually calls you in to consider these things. It calls you in to consider what is good and right and true. And it actually calls on you to try and discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The best sense I can make of this is that if we can understand what Paul is saying in the first half of Ephesians, the wonderful and glorious gospel of our salvation, and consider our lives in light of that and discern what does it mean to be light, to live in light of what it is that we've seen in those chapters, then we'll be able to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And I reckon the confusing verses of verse 13 and 14 give us the reason why that would be true. 
And I think it's the same thing that happens with Christ that we want to see happen with the world. What Christ has done for us, in a sense, we want to do for the world. There was no sin in Christ. He was pure light. And he stepped into our world and did not become like the sinfulness that he was around. And it was for that very reason that the darkness that was within us was exposed. And so, verse 13, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Isn't that what happened with us? Spotlight was put on our darkness. It was exposed and shown to be what it is. And Christ rose us up from the dead and shined his light on us. So the call here is to be light. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Friends, we are God's beloved children, saved and secure. And we are called to holiness, to walk in love, to be light. Let me pray to close. Our great Father, we come before you as your beloved children. Those who you have made holy, you have made us light. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to resolve to walk in light, to be holy, to walk in love. Father, you promise to give us the strength, the power, all, everything that we need in order to live what it is that you've called us to. And Father, we ask that you would do that abundantly for us. In Jesus' name, amen.